Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, which should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. And we welcome you to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Degenerative disc disease is not really a disease, but a condition that happens when one or more discs between the vertebrae of the spinal column deteriorates or breaks down. It can be extremely painful. Today, we're going to talk to a young woman who ran marathons, was a dance instructor, and then degenerative disc disease reared its ugly head. Joining us from Cincinnati, Ohio, to tell her story is Gabrielle Dion Visca. Gabrielle, good of you to do this. We appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks for reaching out to us. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. I, uh, I really uh, think it's important to tell these stories, uh, especially because uh, it can help other people. And so I'm happy to uh, talk about what I've been through and experienced and uh, in the hopes that it will uh, help some others and maybe inspire some people to uh, try some different uh, holistic alternatives to pain medicines. Perfect. That's exactly why we do this show. Now, do you remember when you first noticed that you had a problem? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I had I was very active through my thirties. Um, I had actually lost a um, hundred pounds um, in order to run a marathon, and really enjoyed uh, marathoning as a um, as an exercise. And through through my training, I found Zumba as a cross training method, and I loved it so much um, that I. Uh, um, started teaching it as well. So between my marathoning and my running, I was doing a lot of physical activity. And um, it, it really happened all of a sudden. I was teaching a second class of the evening after a long day of work when I noticed my, uh, my, my feet had started going numb. Um, and I thought maybe it was just my footwear uh, or, you know, something temporary. But it just kept kept happening and I eventually uh, went to a surgeon and got an MRI and he told me that I had degenerative disc disease and uh, in, in my case I was very I was young at the time 39 years old and it uh, it, it really uh, changed the way that I you know that I could, could live I um, couldn't teach Zumba anymore I couldn't um, I couldn't run marathons and uh Within about six months, I was fully disabled. I couldn't, um, I, I could barely walk. So um, it was a very fast condition for me. Um, and uh, I relied very heavily, especially in the early days, upon uh, opiates in order to just get around, to just get myself up and get dressed in the morning and so forth. What, so, Gabri- so, Gabrielle, yes, what, yes. what did the doctors tell you about your condition? Yeah, my doctors, uh, after I saw the MRIs, um, we, we worked on a lot of different uh, preventative measures. I worked with pain management, went to a uh, pain clinic for, for many months, and they, uh, they had suggested uh, some injections, some, cor- some, some of the first-line treatments that you typically see when people have back pain or um, uh, 
uh, injections of uh, different steroids that can can help um, you know that can help loosen loosen it. But uh, when you have degenerative disc disease, it, it, it's just that constant pounding, and it never really improves. Uh, some people do get um, improvement from the. Uh, um, from the injections, but it was my experience that they, they were just continually making me worse and I be, was even more reliant upon pain medicines. What was this, the... This, go ahead, Corey. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, this must have been really difficult emotionally for you, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's your whole world changing. And I was um, a, a about to get married when all of this happened, and uh, my husband and I have since divorced, and of course, you know, the 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 injury and the the um uh the disease really uh, was a, a big um factor in um in my marriage and divorce uh as of course it has to be you know it's your it becomes your whole life and what was so hard was you know he he married he, he married someone who was um uh, you know, a, a dance instructor and a marathon runner and a physically active and healthy person with a good attitude toward life. And, uh, you know, within a year of our engagement, he, he saw an entire, entirely different person. And that, that had to be very hard for him. Um, but obviously it was very hard for, for me as well. And uh, I decided... Uh, Within about a year of dealing with all these injections, to go ahead and get surgery. No, tell us about that. What was that like? Yeah, um, the first surgery was was uh, a uh, sort of a preventative measure. They had intended to go in and, and um, loosen up uh, my L4 and my L5, get loosen the space in between there, because in degenerative disc disease, what happens is it's kind of like it's kind of like if you have old brake pads on your car and they start to wear down, um, much like, much like your, your car hitting metal on metal. I was hitting like bone on bone, disc on disc with, with no fluid in between the joints. So what they, they were attempting to do with the first surgery was to give me a little bit more room in there. And of course the insurance comes into play with it as well. They could only repair one disc, um, in the first surgery because of insurance reasons. So they did the best that they could. And, um, I started to attempt to rehab and, uh, a pedicle screw that was, uh, that was part of what was keeping my, um, my fusion, my, my fusion together, it had come dislodged. And this was about six months after the surgery. And I noticed very quickly that it changed my gait and it became almost impossible. I, I had gotten back rehabbing to about the point where I could walk again mm -hmm. um, pretty, pretty comfortably. And I was rehabbing in a pool um, doing a lot of swimming, but uh, when the screw dislodged, I, I, I no, no longer had uh, any control over this. Uh, could you, could you feel the screw yeah. in your back? I could. I could actually, well, I couldn't feel it from the outside, but I, yeah. I, I yeah. know the moment when it came out um, because I felt it. Yeah, you had and the sensation that it was, it was dislodged. Yeah, and then I got up. I, I was actually laying down when it happened, and I got up, and I noticed immediately that my gait, I, I, I had to hold on to things to walk. 
Um, and uh, I started using a cane and walker thereafter. Is, um, it, is it common for that to happen? No, it's really not. Um, but uh, back surgeries in general, especially lumbar surgeries in de degenerative disc disease, are not terribly successful, typically. Um, there's not a good, good success rate uh, with a first surgery. And then, of course, because the screw came out, then we were looking at the second surgery. Um, and in the meantime, the uh, I broke my foot. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't I mean to. I don't mean to laugh at it, but it means. I know, right? I laugh too, but oh, it's, it's okay. one of those ironies, right, of life that the worst thing happens when you're already dealing with the worst thing, right? So, Gabby, do I ask how you broke your foot? Well, yeah, that is. It was related. I um, I started after the screw came out after the first surgery. My my entire right side um, had developed sort of a numbness, and especially toward my ankle and foot. And um, I slipped and fell. Um, didn't feel. Um, didn't feel. I, it was actually my cat's food bowl, and I didn't feel it below me. And it just slipped, and I uh, went flying, and it uh, shattered, and had to have my um, uh, two bones in my foot repaired, as well as put a rod in my foot. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so I had that surgery and then, uh, not six months later, I was back for my second back surgery, um, which was what, what they did in the second back surgery was they took out the L4, L5 fusion that they had previously done, basically started over. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and it was an eight hour surgery grueling, um, and, uh, they uh, they were able to put in um, new hardware. So I'm I've got I at the time I had the latest upgrade, which was um, a nice a, a nice uh, thing to be positive about uh, that they were putting in the the very latest in uh, infusion hardware. And the second surgery was a little bit more successful, um, but. Uh, you know, I was, I was by that point after three surgeries and five years of this, I was hopelessly addicted to, um, to opiates and I wanted to get off of them, but you know, how do you do that when you have chronic pain? And I think, um, you know, that's, that's probably one of the areas you might, uh, that we, we talk yeah. about a lot, right. That, um, you know, I can't go to a, a you know, an addict addiction recovery center that wants me to get sober because it's, it, there's no over-the-counter medicine that's going to control my pain. Um, and most of the other pain medicines were either um, also addictive or ineffective. So, um, How many pharmaceuticals were you taking a day? Oh, goodness. Yeah, I... Um, at the worst of it, my um, my uh, my prescribed medicine was up to uh, four um, Vicodin a day. But I, there were days that I would the addiction became so um, so uncontrollable that I there were times that I took up to twenty Vicodin a day, and uh, you know I shouldn't be alive uh, after doing that, and probably. Um, you know, there were a lot of days that I that I had hoped it would kill me. Um, the amount of pain and that and 
uh, the lack of relief that I was even getting from something that was from this this thing that was addicting me and making me feel sick and giving me lots of side effects um, just uh, just ruined my life you know ruined our whole lives and um, at one point uh, we asked a surgeon uh, my, my husband actually asked the surgeon he says what do you, what can we do to get her off of off of these uh, medications and um, and he, he, it was the surgeon in Nevada who suggested medical cannabis. Um, I had grown up and lived most of my life in Ohio where it was not only illegal, but uh, where the stigma is probably uh, the strongest of anywhere. It's a very, uh, very closed conservative area of the country. Mm-hmm. And so going to Nevada and, and being in a state where I could uh, use, med- use medical cannabis was a lifesaver to me, um, being able to, uh, to, um, try something different than I, than it was even presented to me before. So, um, so yeah, so it was very interesting to me at first to, um, to try the, the cannabis. Um, I had only ever really tried it maybe once or twice in my life. I had, you know, done the, passed the joint and took a, took a, um, you know, uh, a little bit of it, probably improperly. Um, and I would definitely say that in my 20s and 30s, I I believed a lot of the stigma. You know, I was a product of the, um, you know, Nancy Reagan, the Just Say No and the D.A.R.E. program. And, and I believed a lot of that. So I was really reluctant to give cannabis a try. And what was interesting is the first dispensary I went into might have might have caused me never to try it again. Um, I went in somewhere that um, they kind of expected me to know what I wanted and um, expected me to understand the ins and outs of cannabis when I had never tried it before. And it was a disappointing experience. And I went home and, and really did, you know, tried it a little bit. They had, they had uh, I think it was a pre-roll and I coughed a lot and the coughing hurt my back, right? Mm-hmm. So, um so I, was, so I decided I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't keep going with cannabis. So I put the idea aside for probably two, three months. And then my, uh, my addiction had gotten out of control again to the point where I, you know, I had to face it. I had to say, well, you know, let's try this cannabis out again. So I went to a different dispensary and it was a whole different experience. I went to a dispensary where there was a woman uh, who had a similar condition and she and I spoke about the, you know, the struggles that I was having with opiates. And uh, she suggested that I try edibles. And that made all the difference for me. Um, I went home and, and now the first experience wasn't pleasant. I will say I definitely took too much too the much. first time. And I, I sort of felt like I was in lost in a time continuum <laughs> for a bit. But um, after that experience, I, I learned a little bit better how to dose and how to appropriately dose and also what to do if I dose too much. And uh, over the, the years now, I've really learned how to, um, to use cannabis effectively. So, um, so yeah, I've been, and, and, uh, I've been two years now um, opiate-free. Wow. Gabrielle, what do you say to people who might be listening who say, yeah, I'd like to give this a try? 
but I don't want to be high. I'm, you know, who have a fear factor involved. What do you say to them? Right. So cannabis doesn't have to make you high. There are plenty of ways that you can take cannabis and be completely in control of yourself and uh, still enjoy the pain relief that, uh, that, that, can help you to get through your day. Um, it's, it's difficult because I think a lot of, a lot of, uh, patients had my same experience and, you know, a lot of that is, uh, is where we are right now with a new cannabis industry in the States where, um, you you don't have a consistent experience going into dispensaries and, uh, especially with medical patients, um, getting that proper counseling in order to get the right cannabis is, is so important because, yeah, yeah, because you, especially with opiate, uh, addicted people, there's such a small window of time in there that, that you're going to be receptive to it. It's Um, interesting. I just had a conversation yesterday with somebody who owns a dispensary in Oregon and they were talking about the very fine line that they walk because legally they're not allowed to hand out, in quotations, medical advice. Mm-hmm. So their hands are somewhat tied and they, they walk a really fine line. And I hadn't really even thought about this before. They walk a really fine line in what they're allowed to tell people who come in seeking help. Because right. it, it can absolutely backfire on them, particularly in the states where lawsuits run rampant, eh? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And especially in Ohio, because um, there are, we are one of the um, most restricted programs in terms of marketing. Um, so the dispensaries and cultivators have very little uh, that they can actually tell the patients about the products. So um, uh, what um, what's interesting is one of the ways that I uh, found myself out of the addiction, in, in addition to um, cannabis, was by developing a passion project around it. I happened to be a medical writer already and um, was working as a medical writer when I moved back to Ohio and decided that I wanted to develop some patient education for new cannabis users because uh, Ohio... Uh, began their program just in in the beginning of 2019. So um, I launched our publication, Medicaid OH, in March of 2019 to support the industry. Um, What's interesting is that uh, we have this great publication with all this medical information, um, and it's all medically reviewed by uh, doctors in Ohio. But what's really interesting is that the cultivators and the dispensaries aren't really able to support it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, yeah, so we've got a real disconnect and a real problem there in Ohio and our, um, you know, our, our hope is that keeping an eye on legislation and, uh, looking to, to find ways to change the program and to loosen those restrictions are going to be the way that we, we move forward with it. Right. Um, Gabby, but, yeah. Gabby, you said you've been clean of opiates for two years. How long did it take you to wean yourself off using edibles? Yeah, yeah that's a really interesting. Um, that's a really interesting story that I'd love to tell. Um, I uh, I actually got off of opiates when I was in Nevada. Um, I was able to successfully transition um, and did so for several months. Um, 
what was nice about Nevada was that I had a compassionate pain medicine doctor who allowed me to utilize my opiates while I was transitioning to cannabis. And that made a huge difference for me because in Ohio currently most, uh, and, and, and I think this is true of a lot of medical programs in a lot of states, um, their insurance program, their insurance and, um, a lot, there are other factors as well, but um, a lot of pain clinics will kick you out um, if you test positive for medical marijuana. Um, and, and that is exactly what happened. And I knew that it was, was about to happen uh, in Ohio. And I, when I moved back to Ohio, uh, I moved back in 2018 and we didn't have a medical program yet. So I had to make the really, really difficult and... Um, uh, controversial decision to go back on opiates for a year. Um, so I did that for 2018. And then once the medical, pro I was one of the first in line to get my medical card in Ohio um, at the beginning of uh, January, 2019. However, the, um, the, the program didn't have actual cannabis to sell until, uh, until March and they didn't have adequate cannabis to sell until uh, July. Um, so I finally felt in July of 2019 that it, that I could transition from uh, from cannabis from opiates to cannabis safely. And so I did so, and I've been off for two years now. Gabby, I know you mentioned that you did smoking and edibles. Mm -hmm. uh, did you try any other modes and? What do you find to be most effective for you? How much are you taking a day? And typically, what does an, what does an average day look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, like a lot of cannabis patients, I've meandered through all of the different forms of administration to see what works properly for me. Um, and I've found that uh, I don't like to smoke it necessarily. Um, I, if, I do, if I do any sort of um, uh, ingestion, I like to vaporize it. Um, and I will, I will do occasionally, if I have acute pain, I will take a, um, a dab. Um, and do a concentrate of, uh, of a high THC uh, um, concentrate. But I um, normally, my day-to-day -day pain relief had been for many years strictly just edibles. Um, but I've moved to um, taking RSO um, along with edibles because edibles, especially the sugary ones, <laughs> Um, aren't so great on the diet. So, um, and, and I find that RSO is, is really, really helpful for pain. So I like to try to mix it up between the RSO and, um, and the edibles. And then, uh, I just do the dabs occasionally, like I said, when I have acute pain. Are you doing any CBD along with this? Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing that, um, goes in practically every article that I write, um, which is that especially for chronic pain patients where um, you're taking a high THC level, it's so important to have CBD on hand in order to bring that, that high down um, if you get too high. And, um, and also, I, I normally um, tell patients who ask me now um, to look for things with, uh, with a good balance of CBD and THC because it just... They, they, I feel like they just act better when it comes to pain. Um, yes. I think that that entourage effect is, is, is a real thing. And I, um, 
Um, and I even think, uh, especially for new patients that get into it, having something that's very heavy in CBD is a great way to kind of start into it. Um, hey. Having a big hit of THC all at once, like I said, can, can you know, rip a hole in the <laughs> space-time continuum. <laughs> can be overwhelming. Yeah. Let's just be uh, clear that the CBD we're talking about, we're not talking about the CBD from hemp that's at your 7-Eleven. Right, exactly. And that's, you know, that's, that's a, a big uh, issue that we, we talk about too, um, is that the CBD that is, is already in a lot of uh, strains is probably the best way to get it. Um, I know a lot of cultivators uh, and processors now add CBD to products in order to um, to give them a more balanced uh, profile. Um, and I think that's great. It's interesting, though, uh, the way that these isolated uh, compounds are starting to, to kind of make their way in. And I'm trying to keep up with the science on CBN and CBG and Delta-8 and all of these other um, all of these other isolated uh, products, just to see, you know, whether they're they're, they're effective or not. You know, I, I I like to try things because you just don't know. You know, you may have the the best product um, that you haven't even tried yet. But um, typically, for me, uh, I I find RSO and edibles to be um, the the best way for me to to to, um, to medicate. Although. You know, I will say one thing that's come into the market uh, lately is uh, beverages um, to the Ohio market. And I used to like to drink those in Nevada because I felt it helped me to drink uh, less alcohol. And, you know, like a lot of people, alcohol became part of medicating. Um, You know, you do whatever you can. You reach for whatever you can. And I'm proud to say that I, you know, I've not had a problem at all with alcohol since I've, um, since I've used cannabis. And I think some of that has to do with these drinkable beverages. I, there are some, uh, squeeze products now too on the market where you can just put it into your tea and, you know, it's nice and discreet. I think uh, a lot of those products, um, help you microdose, which, you know, if you're a busy person during the day, you kind of have to do, you can't have a big, um, you know, a big couch lock session if you've got three meetings, right? Gabby, right. Give me, give us an idea of what life is like for you today compared to when you were addicted to opiates at your lowest point. Oh goodness! I mean, I think about this a lot, obviously, but um, yeah, it was a totally different, different mind mindset. Opiates put me into a mindset where I was the victim and where these were pills that I was taking in order to um, bring me momentarily momentarily out of that victim mentality and out of my pain. And but but that was it. You know, it stopped there. It didn't it didn't do anything more for me. What I find with cannabis is that uh, it's a totally different experience. Uh, One of the um, key aspects that I've noticed that's different about cannabis than opiates is the the element of gratitude. 
for whatever reason it is, and I, I'm sure it's somewhere we'll discover in the endocannabinoid system, but it activates gratitude. And what, what I, what I found is I, I also do a lot of yoga in order to, um, keep my back loose and, um, keep it from getting too, um, you know, too sore. Uh, and I found that, um, Cannabis allows me to thank the pain. And I know that sounds really weird, but it, it teaches me that the pain is there so that I can appreciate those feelings of, of, of comfort. And the, the intensity of the pain are there as lessons to me. And I, I don't think I would have come to those conclusions, those emotional connections to my to my condition if if not for cannabis uh like i said i think it's just a, a difference in energy um opiates put you into this ener- this mindset and this energy of um of, de- of defeat of giving up of of masking and blocking pain oh Whereas, it's a huge it's a huge downward spiral right right and you know and our legal system doesn't help it our legal system and our uh, the way that our medical um uh in especially in america how our medical system has um has really done a disservice to patients who um who not only get prescribed opiates for pain but then have to somehow get off of them and um they don't provide that kind of um that kind of support and it's also still uh, i think very widely seen as a moral failing and uh so i think that those are the the, the changes that um you know that i've seen that um that cannabis has 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 helped me to see that um that my pain doesn't have to be a life sentence and i don't have to use um use a medicine that i have to either obtain illegally or that i have to um you know that 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 is going to give me such bad side effects that it won't that that my life is is still you know hardly worth living um gabby you do, know, and do, then of course there's go ahead i was just gonna say do you feel better each day or each month um as yeah. this goes on and are you getting better or are you just maintaining yeah, I think that I'm getting better. I don't, you know, the the hard thing about any degenerative disease is that you have, on one hand, you have to understand that it probably won't ever improve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that it's a it's it's going to continue to get worse throughout my life. But cannabis has really helped me in and in therapy and and some other things as well. Lifestyle changes really helped me to see that um, this isn't a, uh, you know, disability isn't a life sentence. It's, and in fact, in many ways, I, um, I appreciate that, that this happened to me because I don't think that I would have gone down the path that I did um, in terms of, you know, my job and my passion and, and so forth if it weren't for this injury. So, um, so I do. I really think that it's a it, it's a different experience with cannabis. Um, I think a lot of people can benefit from trying it as an alternative, especially if they're um, they're struggling with a lot of the um, 
the the, the legal um, problems with opiates, and it's really just a hassle um, to get opiates. I, I don't know what it's like in, in Canada these days, but it's still... It's no opiate. different here than it is there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's such a hassle. I mean, yeah, you, it's you, a do, problem. you have to go in every month and do a, you know, a test, and um, it's hours wait in order to get, you know, to get your medication, and then there's there was always some BS thing about, uh, well, you can't get it till Thursday, because last month you, you got it on Tuesday, and I mean, it, it really, it, it's, it's interesting when you analyze it from, from this perspective now of being able to go up to my local dispensary and get my product and go home and within 15 minutes, um, all the BS that I went through mm-hmm. in, order to, in, in order to just make myself moderately comfortable. Um, and, and it's sad. I mean, it's, it's really sad that, uh, that more people who are in chronic pain situations are stuck in that loop um Uh, well that's why we that's why we uh like to interview people like you in order to get the message out and uh i think uh, you have a remarkable story of uh, what you went through and your recovery Mm -hmm. and uh, we're very appreciative of you telling the story thank you very much for sure absolutely yeah thank you so much gabby thank you thanks for having me We'd very much like to thank our listeners for supporting us and sharing our podcasts with others who would benefit from hearing these testimonials, like the one you just heard, about the healing power of cannabis. Our purpose in doing this, right from the start, is to help as many people as we can. We hope that uh, these podcasts do that. We are listener-supported. And if you'd like to make a one-time donation or a monthly donation, regardless of the amount, go to our website, Cannabis Health Radio, and a drop-down menu will show you how you can do that. We are very grateful for your support, and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary. And I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.